25 minutes past 11. Nicola Wright with headlines. The police watchdog has found officers used excessive force in six incidents during last year's protest and occupation of Parliament's grounds. The economy shrank unexpectedly by 0.3% in the third quarter as weakening household spending hit activity. A snapshot of the health of the nation compared to a decade ago shows more young people say they're experiencing psychological distress. And a man who used dozens of different identities to defraud the COVID-19 wage subsidy of nearly $27,000 has been jailed. More news coming up at midday. No mai kitapurongo o te tanga. Join me, Charlotte Cook, on Midday Report with updates from the business, sport, rurals, world and news teams. We'll see how that's been absorbed by the market. England cricket captain Ben Stokes says it's time to let the Johnny Bearstow controversy go. Kia ora, Charlotte. That's right. It's due to uncertainty about the emissions trading scheme. Each side regularly accuses the other of shelling around the plant and risking a major nuclear mishap. All this and more on Midday Report with me, Charlotte Cook, on RNZ National. 26 past 11, you're listening to Nine to Noon with Catherine Ryan. Do send in any questions that occur to you during our discussion in parenting this morning. Nine to Noon at rnz.co.nz or text them to 2101. If you've ever asked a young child how their day was, you might have got a couple of responses. Either a blank stare or a list of every single thing that happened to them that day. Our guest studies memory development in children and the development of children's understanding of time. Professor Judith Hudson is a professor of psychology at Rutgers University in New Jersey. She says the way parents interact and talk to their children helps develop the child's memory for the past and their ability to think about and plan for future events. Judy, thanks very much for being with us. Great to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Explain a bit more about your research and how you go about it, please. Um, so I've been interested in uh, how children remember past events and how they think about the future. Uh, and I started by uh, investigating children's memory for past events. And this was many years ago. And at the time, people thought that young children actually had no memory or no coherent memories. Um, but we found that when we asked, you know, three year old children, four-year-old, five-year-old children, uh, they didn't give us necessarily a lot of information, but they could tell us about their birthday, for example, um, a special visit with their grandmother, and what they told us seemed very reasonable. So that um, led to research uh, on what children remember when they can remember past events. And uh, several researchers have been involved with this for many years. Um, But when I started looking at how parents talk to children about past events. One thing I noticed was that while they seem to enjoy talking about you know, good times with their children, a lot of the day-to-day discussions involve future events, um, what they were going to do that afternoon, what they were doing tomorrow to help prepare the child uh, for what was coming up next. So I began to wonder, well, when do children actually understand the future as well? Um, and so I started looking at uh, children's understanding of both past and future. Where does this sit with the cognitive development and the part of the brain that controls looking back and, and looking forward? Oh, well, what's really interesting, um, and you brought that up, was another kind of part of this uh, puzzle is that when we actually look at adults' brains and when they're remembering past events and when they're imagining the future, 
as it turned out, um, actually there is a lot of overlap in the parts of the brain that are activated, um, which might, which, you know, seems a little counterintuitive. Well, you know, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, that's really different. Um, but what this tells us is that when we imagine the future, we're actually drawing on, you know, because it hasn't happened yet, how are we going to do this? Um, we actually draw on our memories of past events and our general knowledge about events. Uh, and so it turns out, you know, that's really very, very similar with young children as well, um, which kind of, you know, led to the, uh, the speculation that if children could, and you know, remember past events, they should, their brain should be able to also imagine future events if they're using the same, you know, parts of the brain and activating uh, very similar um, types of information in both of those processes. It's the hippocampus, I think, that's in play here, is it? It is in adults anyway, isn't it? Yes, yes, that's part of it. And um, certainly, um, you know, memory, just in general, just remembering things that you've seen before or recognizing something as familiar, like an infant, you know, recognizing a mother's face. Um, that's very early on. But that's different from uh, remembering, oh, I was <laughs> sitting in, you know, my crib or lying in my crib. And I remember one time when my mommy did, you know, something. Um, that's a very specific autobiographic memory. And that we, you know, it's hard to test in infants, but um, they're kind of belief is that that kind of memory really doesn't emerge until maybe, you know, closer to two to three years of age. Let's talk about time. Uh, and it does my head in when people get into the physics of it anyway. <laughs> but as we understand it, um, uh, as, as a means of functioning and organising our lives, when do children begin and how do they begin to develop an understanding of time and how we use time? Yeah, uh, that's uh, the thing about time is it's a very abstract concept, but it is pervasive. Um, but we can't see it. We can't touch it. Uh, we experience it. Um, but if you wanted, you know, to to talk to your child, you know, child about you know animals or something, you could draw, show them pictures. You could show them actual animals. If you wanted to talk to your child about time or, you know, help them learn about it. What can you do? You can't point to it. You can't touch it. Um, so the only way children can learn about time is through language uh, because, you know, um, and how we talk about time and connect the language they hear with their experiences. Um, so that when someone talks about something having happened, uh, a little while ago or yesterday, um, if children have a memory of that and a sense of that not being now, but sometime in the past and a general idea about maybe how long ago in the past, they can start to connect those words with their memories and experience. But, you know, you can see that that's, you know, kind of a tough process that doesn't it involves some thinking about it and making some connections um, that, you know, aren't really, like I said, visually apparent. Can we talk about where they get to at certain ages and then how you can assist them? I'm loving, I'm just reading here about um, this. Oh, this should just be the title of a book. A young child <laughs> says 
tomorrow when I'm grown up. Most <laughs> wonderful concept. Um, well, we're all still waiting to grow up, aren't we? But but how do they at various ages? How do they get to grips with with what kinds of time frames? And then we'll talk about how you can help them with that. Okay. Well, one of the things about time and the way we organize our lives through time in general is that there's a lot of, um, well, how we organize our lives, there's a lot of repetition. Um, and there's a, a there's a kind of a, a sequence to our days. Uh, so in general, you know, we tend to, you know, wake up around the same time. And I said, we, I mean, us and young children. And then, you know, we have meals at particular parts of the day. And then there are particular activities such as school or work, you know, that happen at particular times. And then in the evening, there's usually a meal and then there's a wind down before um, going to bed. So there's the, there are these sequences that are repeated over and over again. Uh, and in fact, actually, you know, if you think about it in the broader sense, a week is a repetition of seven days uh, sequence. A month, you know, is a repetition. A year is a repetition. So there are these cycles and sequences. And that's the first thing that children begin to understand. So even, you know, um, infants of one-year-olds, you know, two-year-olds, they have expectations for when things are going to happen next in a day. So, you know, a uh, it, particularly if they are on a regular schedule, and, and many children are. Um, so a child who has lunch, for instance, can generally expect that nap is going to come next. Uh, they may not want that or they may protest, but it's not a surprise every day. Um, or a child who goes to daycare, you know, a three-year-old has a general sense of when um, in the day, you know, after they get it from nap, there might be playtime and then a parent's coming to pick them up. So they, they build up these expectations or scripts for the sequence of everyday events in their lives. And that gives them um, a not a precise sense of time, like this is happening at three o'clock or at noon, um, but the sequence when things happened and you know what, what is going to happen next. And that you know really provides the foundation for kind of you know understanding um, ordering of, of things in, in a daily on a daily basis and what happens in a given day. So that's, again, you know, it, it begins um, very early on, but certainly by age three, uh, when we interview children and we ask them what happens when we go to school um, and they can tell us, you know, oh, you, you know, I come in, I, you know, put my coat in my uh, cubby and then I play and then it's snack time and th they can sort of tell you the sequence of events in a day. So that's a, um, very important uh, milestone. Um, when they, I'm just thinking, yeah, when they get into school and the routines of school or preschool, yeah. does that begin to exercise that muscle? Yes, um, that's a, you know because you know that's really important. And again, there's usually a kind of a, a, a sequence and a routine that happens pretty much the same time every day. And you know, children really thrive on routine uh, because it does give them a sense of knowing what's happening next. Um, it would be it, it sounds like it might be lovely not to have to be you know tied to a routine. Sometimes we see that as negative. Uh, but if you're a young child, you don't always want you don't be wondering you know, what's going to happen? When am I going to be able to eat? When am I going to be able to play? Um, having, you know, sort of knowing and expecting that those things are going to happen in a regular sequence gives them, you know, a sense of security and control and understanding of their day. Um, 
teachers, parents can start to attach time words to those events when they're talking about them. Um, they can say things like at noon, we're going to do this, or at three o'clock, and they can point to a, you know, a um, analog, uh, you know, a, a clock and, uh, you know, and uh, make these references. Um, children aren't necessarily going to pick up on those, but eventually some kids will um, if they start hearing three o'clock and they can see the three on the the clock and start to connect that. And that's how it begins is that, um, you know, set up a, a regular routine and then talk about what's happening and what's happening next and then refer to, you know, parts of the day or parts, you know, or even hours in the day. Um, you can talk about the morning, you can talk the afternoon, evening. Children don't quite understand those sort of parts of the day. Um, explicitly. After lunch, though, or before dinner? Yeah, but after lunch is something mm. that they can really understand. Mm. And, you know, like a, a, a young child who's upset, when is mommy coming? Telling them that mommy's coming at 4.30 will not help them. But telling them, well, you know, after nap time, you're, you'll get up and we'll have snack and then you'll play and then mommy will come. Um, you know, or daddy will come. Uh, that, then they know. Um, because they know what that sequence is like. Can we talk about, because a lot of this is about language and then and interaction, and that's how humans learn and humans connect, can we talk about what's an appropriate question to get your child talking? The classic is, how was your day today? Uh, <laughs> and, and can you explain what the... You know, the technical term is the cognitive retrieval process for a child is with a broad <laughs> question. They're, 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 they're deconstructing everything, are they? Just explain. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned that sometimes, you know, that's not, doesn't seem to be the best question. And it's very frustrating for parents to either get, um, you know, just kind of too much detail or just a blank stare or nothing. Or as they get older, fine, it's okay. You know, it's your day, you know, it's okay, nothing happened. Um, so the, the, the problem of that question is like, as you alluded to, is that it's really not the best uh, to connect with you know, how we store memories. Um, in general, I, as I mentioned, children, you know, develop these scripts or understanding of routines. And our memory system is really set up to, you know, organize our knowledge about the world into those routines uh, because it's so very efficient. You don't have to remember, you know, every time you went to a restaurant, you just have a script for, you know, what happens when you go to a restaurant. Um, you don't, you know, have to remember every day at daycare, you have a general sense of when things happen. Uh, but what this means is that we don't, our brains really just don't store details of everyday experiences unless they're unusual or exceptional in some way, um, at least not for very long. So I mean, if I asked an adult, you know, what, um, you know, uh, what did you have for breakfast on Monday? Um, it might be very hard for us to, you know, actually go back, oh, on Monday, I don't know, that was a while ago, um, to reconstruct it because it, it, chances are it was very routine. Well, that's what children are faced with when you ask them by the end of the day, how's your day? They're, it's like, unless there was something really unusual, which, you know, there probably wasn't, um, they've actually, you know, really don't have that information available to them. It's sort of absorbed into the general representation. Um, so it would might be better to, you know, if you really wanted to know is to maybe connect with a particular part of the day. Um, 
if you know oh did you have a good time playing on the playground tell me you can tell me about that because uh, then they can actually maybe think about being on the playground and that helps them kind of you know retrieve at least that part of the day it gives them a cue uh, again there might have been nothing special um but there might have been something um but that would be better than just how was your day which is just too broad too general you mentioned dinner table uh, is a very good place for family sharing and that's where you can use your own example. I met a new person at my job today or uh, something that might prompt an experience of theirs because they have to go looking. This is the message really, isn't it? Yes, that's the thing. Yeah, unless, no, you, I mean, you might, you know, one day you might uh, go there and something really special happened and they've been waiting to tell you about it and they're very anxious, you know, very happy to do that. Uh, but that might not be every day. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, they just also may be tired. And they've been looking, maybe maybe it's just been a long day for them. It's been full of fun things, yes, but they're tired. They want to go home and decompress. They don't want to have to talk. They've been, you know, using their language skills all day to try and, you know, use their words and not their, you know, to negotiate with their peers, to answer questions from teachers. And, you know, maybe what they just want to do is be quiet and unwind and relax. So giving them some time, you know, to decompress, to go, everybody goes home, gets a snack, winds down, feels, you know, refreshed. And then at dinner time, that's a really natural time to have a conversation and to bring up things. And, you know, by sharing what you did, they'd say, oh, you know, I had an interesting day today. I met somebody new. And then explain that. And then, you know, let somebody else in the family, you know, did you have anything interesting happen? Or did you meet anybody? Um, uh, it would might come more naturally at that point. Whereas at the end of the day, when they just want to go home, they may not be as receptive. To, Judy, I want to know. talk about how to help children imagine the future and plan the future, because that becomes potentially really important to their life prospects, right? If they're good organisers of, of what they've got to get through, good organisers of their day, good, good organisers of their study <laughs> uh, down the track, it, it, it may help. But there's a few questions. Could we tick them off as quickly as is practicable? One person says, uh, I'd be interested to know if your guest has researched or can comment, comment on the time blindness kids with ADHD may have. Uh, and are there children or young people for whom they just this just doesn't develop? That's an interesting question. Um, clearly, you know, again, this in, involves uh, some, you know, making these mental connections. You know, it it uh, and to some kids, it you know sort of begins to click. Uh, and usually, when you know children start using some of these terms and have some vague understanding of you know, like yesterday, tomorrow, things like that, um, in around maybe around five, um, they may be using the terms a little bit younger, but incorrectly. So between five and eight, we see a lot of development of their you know kind of understanding of time. Um, but um, children, you know, particularly who have problems with executive function, they may just, you know, that part that kind of does that sequencing and that looking ahead and organizing. Um, it's, you know, sort of one thing to imagine a future, but it's another thing to sort of organize and plan for it. That requires you to kind of like do things now in anticipation of something happening later. 
So that's really, you know, higher level executive function skills. And that might be something that children with ADHD have a problem with. So what it really is, is that they, it's not that they don't understand time or that they can't imagine the future. They just can't sort of figure out what, just sort of go backwards mentally and say, well, what do I do now to think about that later? Um, and, and it's and, the concept uh, as well. They may know a series of things they need to do. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but they just and can't just put the whole time thing things. on it. A um, couple more. Let's just, um, this is, uh, let's have a look here. I remember when my youngest started school, I went to pick her up and she asked me, Mummy, can you hear the bell at our place? And I said, no, why? And she <laughs> said, how, well, how do you know when to pick me up? Isn't that great? That's, a, that's attaching time to yeah. um, a, a, some kind of stimulus or, or, or some kind of um, symbol. Interesting. Um, well, that's for, for her. For, for her, that's the bell, you know, yeah. that's whatever. And, and then for adults, it's like a watch and a clock. But they don't, you know, again, learning how you know, those artifacts, things like calendars and clocks and things work and measure time. <laughs> and that's pretty advanced. This is interesting. Has the child's sense of time been affected differently if the clocks they see are digital versus analog? The latter showing actual movement in a specific direction. I suppose you could argue the numbers do. On uh, on a digital clock, but I, I know there are adults in the workplace now. Um, I've, I've had you know folk mention this who cannot read the analog clock. Does it does it yeah. matter? I think they still you know they they st- they still probably under- develop an understanding of time. But I think this the the analog clock gives them a better a better it's a better tool to help them understand it because they could see you know it going around in a circle. And again, a lot of these are you know the cycles and the the cyclical nature, and you can you know point to like in five minutes when it you know and and you can see on the clock you know what the next five minutes is going to be. You can sort of see it all in one place whereas with an analog you just you know see each digit changing but you don't get the kind of the whole picture of the hour um like you do um with an analog clock so a lot of preschools um you know elementary schools and you know teaching young children will you know display the analog clock for that reason and try to teach them that way i think i'm going to to get you back for round two um one more question and then we might get you back on the forward creativity (laughs) stuff one day if that's all right judy because i know There'll be a lot of people really interested in that with kids of different ages, how how to help develop that muscle. But here's a challenging one. How about a guide to explain future perfect to children, which I think of as a part of speech, but actions that will be completed before some other point in the future. So it's like a two-step, right? How do you explain that? Um. Well, with all these, even the most, you know, most difficult, the way you explain it is by talking about it. Um, and there is, we, we, there is research is that when, if you do use temporal language, you know, when you're talking to children, sometimes parents are like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, but they're talking to children. No, in a little while we're going to, they won't understand two weeks. But if you never refer to two weeks, they'll never understand it. So we, the parents who, who, who do, you know, just sprinkle it in naturally, um, their child, their kids sort of understand these terms earlier. And I understand can apply them to actual, you know, time situations. So, you know, the way to teach them it is, is to, to use it, you know, in real world examples and real life examples. Um, um, so that they start to connect the words with, you know, experience um, or, you know, or something that's going to happen to them, something they're motivated and they understand already. 
Thank you. Please come back and we'll do a round two, if that's okay, next year um, of different aged young people and how to really build that executive function of being able to future visualise and future plan. Thank you very, very much. Well, thank you. Professor Judith Hudson, Professor of Psychology at Rutgers University in New Jersey.